Luke 19, 28 to 48. So we're leading up to Easter and we're looking at Jesus' last week of his life. And uh, the scriptures are pretty full when we look at the breakup of the gospel, uh, the gospels, the four gospels, on how much time we spend on this last week. John's gospel uh, picks up around chapters 11, uh, just after chapters 11, like uh, 13, and the rest of John's gospel is about the last week of his life. Uh, we see Mark's is similar, uh, but what we find is a lot happened in this last week. There was a lot to be seen. So let's read this passage, Luke, ni- uh, Luke 19, 28 to 48. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untiring, tying it, you shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who, who were sent away went, uh, sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was... As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that, he had, that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and the city and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive them out, drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chiefs, priests, and the scribes, and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God for guidance as we unpack it.
Father God, I stand here as a broken man, preaching to broken people, redeemed by your blood, that without the Holy Spirit, we have no way of understanding or comprehending your word. So Lord, we ask, fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we understand the law and the prophets and the Psalms that speak of Christ and his resurrection, death and resurrection. May we understand the glorious picture that we see in this passage, the coming of the King of Kings, the ascension into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God dwelling the temple and going forth to dwell in the Holy of Holies, not made with human hands. May the shadows that we see today point us to the glorious truth that you rule and reign on the throne today and forevermore. That though you entered Jerusalem, you entered into the heavens, which is far more glorious. May we heed the warnings of Jerusalem, their forgetfulness, the ways they have turned from you, Lord, and not remembered you. May we heed those warnings as well. May we not become a church that has forgotten you, Lord. And we ask for your grace to abound to us, that we will endure all the days of our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Proverbs 22:28 says, Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. One example of this that we see in the Old Testament is Joshua, as he leads the Israelites through the Jordan River, Uh, He takes the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant enters into the water and it parts, just like the Red Sea parted for Moses. And as they come through, God says to Joshua in Joshua 4, 6 and 7, he says this, when your children ask you in the time to come what these stones mean to the, uh, these stone, those stones mean to you, then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be, the, be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So Joshua was told by God, grab 12 stones representing the 12, 12 tribes of Israel and place them as a pillar that they may remember, remember what God has done. Uh, there's many landmarks that God has for his people Israel. And there's many landmarks that he has for us as Christians today that we should not move, but remember that they were set for a reason. Uh, If we think through Deuteronomy 16, if you'd like to turn there with me, as it's, it's, it's reasonably long, but I'm only going to point out a few, a few verses. We come to a, a chapter that's teaching us about the feasts, the Passover feast, the feast of weeks, the feast of booths. And we see here, uh, in, in verses 3 and 12, uh, that it's about remember, uh, remembering. It says, Seven days you shall eat with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. Then the days of your life, you may, so that the days of your life, you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. Uh, it's, it's repeated again in verse 12 here. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe, observe these statutes. Uh, we, we go on and we look in verse 11 and verse 14 of Deuteronomy 16, that they're, not, that they're not only to remember, but they're also to rejoice. Verse 11 says, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your servant, male servants and female servants. 
the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourners, the fatherless, the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. Uh, We are to remember and rejoice. And verse 14 says about the Feast of Booths, you shall rejoice in your feast. You, your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns. Uh, So we see whether it's the stones that Joshua places uh, for Israel to remember uh, or it's the feasts that come about uh, throughout the throughout the calendar year, that these are to be a remembrance and a rejoicing for what God has done for his people. And if we notice, the very first people that should be rejoicing and remember, remembering are the children. Joshua says, when your children ask. And in both the passages we read, uh, the first people mentioned is your sons and your daughters. The remembrance and the rejoicing is to be passed on so that their life was saturated in the things of God. Deuteronomy 6.4 tells us this, that we should have the law of God uh, written on our frontlets of our eyes, written on the doorposts of our house. Uh, When we lie down and when we get up, we are talking about the word, the law of God. Uh, We are to not move ancient landmarks because we want the landmarks to point us to the work of God. So that is why we celebrate Easter. It's why we should celebrate Christmas. It's why we as Christians should think about other holidays that we have that are distinct to our culture so that we have daily, weekly, monthly and yearly reminders and rejoicings about God. The reason we gather on the Lord's Day is because it is the weekly reminder and weekly celebration uh, that God has saved us. That the resurrection has happened. You know, Easter comes around and we call it Resurrection Sunday. That is every Sunday. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday every single week. And it is our weekly ancient landmark that reminds us and our children to remember and rejoice in the resurrection of Christ. The greatest work of God that has ever happened. And if we go on, we can look at uh, monthly meals. Maybe our members meal, which is a distinct moment in our uh, calendar where we celebrate and remember and rejoice that we are one body and members of one church and bricks of one temple being built together for the glory of God. Of course, we have things in our calendar like Easter and Christmas, which I think we should celebrate well. You may celebrate uh, Reformation Day an ancient landmark when the church was uh, concealed, the glories of the gospel were concealed from us and uh, written in Latin and not everyone had access to the word of God. So Reformation Day brings us this reminder that in the 1500s we now uh, were opened to the revelation of God, to the, the lay person. We may celebrate Ascension Day when Christ ascended, uh, Pentecost, One of the ones that's distinct to our church, and I believe this is really important, is our church holiday. Our church holiday is once a year in October. We go away for a week, a week-long time dedicated to remembering and rejoicing that we are one family and families holiday together. We have meals together. We remind each other of the gloriousness of God. We refine each other through building deeper relationships 
It is a great tradition to have. Now, of course, it is only a tradition, and therefore, if we were to become obsessive about it, it would be making it a law. Uh, But I encourage you, get behind weekly, monthly, yearly memorials, uh, remembrances that we can have so that we do not become like Israel. What What happened to Israel? They forgot. That's simply what happened to Israel. They were puffed up in their pride and they forgot. The amount of times we could turn throughout the, the, the prophets and see that they forgot the name of their law, uh, the name of their God, uh, would be countless. So there's so many passages we can turn to. But let me give you two. Judges 8.34 And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 51, 12 to 13. I am the, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of the man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? Who are you that you have, you are afraid of man and have forgotten the God who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. Church, we forget all the time. In our sin, we have forgotten the Lord. That is what happens when we sin. We've forgotten God. Uh, we are not living in belief. That is why repentance and belief is so important. Belief in our God. Uh, we have seen nations, churches and denominations all forget the Lord their God and forget that He is, that He has set ancient landmarks for us to remember. Maybe it's just simply the taking away of reverence on the Sunday gathering. Maybe it's the, uh, making the Sunday worship more approachable for the outsider, which then doesn't have a place for the building up of the saints, making it seeker friendly. Uh, but we have seen churches and denominations all fall in the forgetting of the God and what He has done. What we are going to see in this passage today is that there are fulfillments, but they are fulfillments in shadows. And what I mean by that is Christ is fulfilling the Old Testament, but at the same time of fulfilling the Old Testament, it is only a shadow of something greater that is going to be fulfilled. The entry into the, uh, the entry into Jerusalem is a great ascension Yet it's not the ascension. He will ascend into the Holy of Holies, not made with human hands. The uh, destruction of the temple. Uh, he tells them that they're going to be surrounded. Then he walks into the temple and drives them out. That is a shadow. Uh, it is a fulfillment of the Old Testament, but it is also a shadow of the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So we are going to see fulfillments in shadows. And we're going to see how Christ is pointing us to greater moments that were to come for the Jews that have come for us. Greater moments that were to come for the Jews and the Gentiles of the age, but have come already for us. So let's see, uh, let's look at Luke. And I think in in order to understand Luke, it's helpful to know a bit about Luke, uh, the, the Gospel of Luke. And there's a lot to know. So I'm going to give you one verse and one distinctive of Luke's Gospel and it's Luke 9.51. Luke 9.51 is a transition in the Gospel of Luke. 
uh, that sends Jesus from the outer regions to Jerusalem. And it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So from uh, halfway through the Gospel of Luke, we start to see Luke, uh, Luke stay, say multiple times that Jesus' face was set to Jerusalem. His purpose was to go to the holy city. Uh, this is important because, because Jerusalem had important, uh, important aspects about it. It wasn't just an ordinary city. The name Jerusalem means city of peace. It means city of peace. And we know that, uh, the prophets say, you'll say peace, peace, but there'll be no peace. Uh, so there's, there's a, there's interesting tie-ins as we look at the, uh, the city of peace no longer having peace anymore. But we know that it's an important city because it's the city where God decided to have his name dwell. 1 Kings 11:36. The city where I have chosen to put my name. Jerusalem is an important city only because it is made holy by God's presence and God's name. God decided that upon Mount Zion in Jerusalem, he would establish a city and a temple that would be a holy city because he dwells there. He will dwell in the holy of holies. Throughout the scriptures we see Jerusalem referred to as the holy city, the city of God, the city of righteousness. And Jesus set his face to this city because the name of God dwelt there. And that means his name dwelt there. The great messianic Messiah passages of the laws, the Psalms and the prophets will be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So Luke writes to build up excitement, to build the tension that we are going to Jerusalem, the holy city, the city where God's name dwells, because the king is coming. So we've got a lot of of passage here, a lot of scripture to to look at, and I'm not going to deal much with the setting up of receiving the cult. There's two options here. Uh, Either Jesus had pre-planned with someone that he would take a cult from from uh, from this unknown person and 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 borrow it for this specific purpose, or because he's sovereign, he knew where the cult was and he knew uh, that he could sway their hearts because uh, he is God and can do that. Which way you land is completely open, really. Like it does, I don't think it's going to change much. So picking up at verse thirty-five, we're picking up as Jesus is entering in to the temple. So they brought to Jesus. Uh, they brought they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, as he rode along, he spread their cloaks on the road. He was dry, uh, as he was drawing near, already on the way down of Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord." Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. One verse that I will point out from the earlier parts that I read in verse 19 is the first one in verse 28. Verse 28, it says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. The these things that he had said is that he just gave a parable. Uh, he had just seen Zacchaeus and had just given a parable on the kingdom of heaven. And now he's going to Jerusalem, where they believed the kingdom of heaven would come, 
So essentially, we're speaking heavily about the kingdom of heaven and, and Christ believes uh, that the kingdom of heaven is coming and he is the king of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so this passage here fulfills two very uh, special scriptures. The first one is Zechariah, uh, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 is this great passage about the coming of the king of Jerusalem. Or the coming of the king uh, who would establish the kingdom of heaven forever. So the first passage we see that is fulfilled here is that Jesus is the king of Zechariah 9.9. This is, this is important. Uh, also that we see fulfilled is that Jesus is not only the king, but he is the holder of all the covenants of the Old, Old Testament. We see Jesus entering in as the Ark of the Covenant entered in in 2 Samuel. It says, uh, when David had received the Ark of the Covenant back from the Philistines, He said, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him uh, from uh, Judah to bring bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Skipping down a few verses to verse 14, it says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was uh, wearing a linen ehod. He, he, uh, so David and all the house of Israel brought, brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So two passages in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ entering into Jerusalem. The return of the ark of the covenant was very a, a significant moment because that is where uh, God's presence would dwell with it in the Holy of Holies and only once a year would the priest enter into that place with blood, of course. And of course we say, see the king who is coming on the fowl of a donkey into Jerusalem. And, and Jesus is the fulfillment of both. In him is the king who will come and he is also the holder of every covenant. But I want to compare the, uh, the two Samuel passage as we think about this Ark of the Covenant entering in. There's many similarities to the passage we see here. The whole multitude of the, the disciples cry out for Jesus. But notice it says the whole multitude of the disciples. Uh, we don't have a crowd of 30,000. We have the multitude of the disciples. We don't know exactly how many that is. It was, it was a decent mob, but by the time Christ is crucified and ascended, it's 120 people. Uh, we see that David is rebuked by his wife, Michelle, uh, because of his way of dancing before the Lord. Uh, he, he is corrected. I didn't read it out, but it's in that same passage. And we see also uh, that Jesus is rebuked by the Jewish leaders. But notice in David's story, uh, it is actually the priests that are there dancing with him. The, the priests are there celebrating the coming in while the religious leaders in Jesus' story are standing back rebuking him. In David's story, it's just his wayward wife who's bitter about Saul, her father, and has all these other reasons as to why she doesn't like David. Uh, but the, the Pharisees, the Pharisees are rebuking Jesus 
as the ones who are meant to be celebrating and worshipping like the disciples are. What we are seeing here is that the religious leaders are veiled. They can't see the trueness of who Jesus is. The ones who are meant to be like setting up the celebration, encouraging the rejoicing of the King and the Ark of the Covenant, returning to Jerusalem. The ones who should see that this is the start of the ascension are the ones who are veiled. They are the ones who can't see. Jesus will later say to them in this passage, which we'll get to, it says uh, in verse 42, Would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace. This pleading from Jesus that if they had known if they had known that he was the one who would come as the king and the, ascend, uh, and the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, they too would be worshipping. But there's more to who Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. It's not only the king of the, this great messa, uh, messa, messianic king, and it's not only the holder of all the covenants of the Old Testament, but he is also the very presence of God entering back in back into the temple where God's Spirit used to dwell. We see in uh, Ezekiel 11.23 that God's Spirit left the temple uh, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is east, uh, east side of the city. Notice that Jesus is on a donkey and he's coming down from the Mount of Olivet. And where is the Mount of Olivet? East of the city. When God's Spirit left the temple before the destruction of Babylon, it went and landed upon the Mount of Olivet. And now Jesus, as the very God-man, and as the King, and as the holder of the covenant, heads down from that mountain, riding in like a king, coming in like the covenant, and entering into the temple, the dwelling place of God's presence. We are seeing this an amazing moment in the scriptures play out and ultimately it's not that exciting if we compare it to the coming of the coming of the ark it's actually it's actually not enough praise and and the pharisees rebuke jesus saying this is too much tell them to stop saying that you are the king tell them to stop declaring glory in the highest and Jesus says it's not enough. If actually these people stop praising, the rocks will cry out. It's not enough praise. I am the king. I am the presence of God entering into the temple. And they were veiled. They couldn't see it. They had forgotten. They had forgotten Zechariah 9.9. They didn't want to see Jesus as the king of kings. They'd forgotten the holder of the covenant. They'd forgotten the Ark of the Covenant that it was likely destroyed when Babylon well, took it, uh, Judah into exile. They had forgotten the ancient landmarks that God had put for them to remember. In fact, they had moved them. They had moved the ancient landmarks. They had changed the law of God for their traditions, as Jesus said. They had turned it about outward appearance than the inward heart of a person. They were the ones that would clean the, out, uh, the outside of the bowl, but not do anything about the inside. And the Pharisees, the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the Jews, would not recognize the God-man king, the holder of all covenants, the presence of God, entering 
in glory to the temple again. They missed the earthly ascension of Christ and they will miss the heavenly ascension of Him as well. Although this is a fulfillment of many great Old Testament passages, the fulfillment of the presence of God going back into the Holy of Holies, the temple, the holder of the covenant returning to Jerusalem, the king of kings entering into Jerusalem, they, although it is all those things of fulfillment, it is also a shadow because it's not the real thing. It's a shadow of what is to come. A shadow of the ascension into the holy of holies not made with human hands, as Hebrews says. When Christ will go to Jerusalem, instead of being exalted as king and praised, he will give his life for his people in order that they may enter in with him to the holy of holies. Isn't that incredible? That instead of going and taking the throne in Jerusalem, entering into the Holy of Holies, parting the curtain which he could and not die, he will go to the cross and to the grave. And then when he goes to the grave, he will come out in victory and ascend 40 days later into the heavenly Holy of Holies in which he will open access for all those who believe in him. And Jesus says, the Pharisees think this worship is too much. It's not enough. It's not enough worship because they had forgotten. But as he enters in, we get a snapshot of what he sees. He's sitting on the donkey. He's coming down a hill. It says that If you look at a map from the Mount of Olivet, on the way down, you could see the whole of Jerusalem. There's like this beautiful image of Jerusalem. And and later we see the Olivet Discourse, Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olivet with his disciples, and they would be staring at Jerusalem as he he teaches. Uh, So he's coming down, and as he's coming down, he's seeing Jerusalem. And it says in 41 and 42, And he drew near and saw the city. He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Like I think this this is meant to be read with grief. Uh, He wept. The word in, in the original is quite painful. It's like a painful sobbing, a strong grief. And I think we can tell that by verse 42 in what he says. We know that the word of God went forth to Israel and said, He chose them. There was nothing special about them, but He chose them and made them His Son. And He delivered them from slavery. And He helped them through uh, all these different trials. Yet they still didn't turn back to Him. Even you, He says, had not known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from you. The judgment upon Jerusalem is come to its completion in that they will not see. Some will. The gospel will go forth at Pentecost and many will be saved and God's last grace to the Jewish people was that the gospel will go first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But if you follow the book of Acts, you'll see that there's a transition from the Jewish preaching of the gospel to the Gentile preaching of the gospel. 
And in Romans 11, we say that yes, a Jew can be saved, but they'll be saved the same way that a Gentile will be saved, by faith. And they can be grafted back into the tree that is Jesus. But right now, in this moment, as Jesus walks in or rides into Jerusalem as the King and the holder of the covenant, He's saying, it's hidden now. The veil will be over your eyes and you will not see that I am the King, the covenant holder, and the very presence of God. The last discipline we saw of, G- of there was two disciplines that, that God brought upon the Jews, the Jew- Jewish people, the exile into Babylon for 70 years, and then afterwards silence for the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And now we see this final judgment. The final judgment is that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth and they, like everyone else, will not be, this, will not be a special people, but the church of God will be the special people of God, the new Israel. And Jesus weeps over this. He weeps over his people, Jerusalem, and he, he will send out his apostles to preach to them, but many of them will not hear. And then he, and then he goes on to foretell what will happen. In verses 43 to 44, he says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down onto the ground and you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So because they had forgotten, because they did not remember the ancient landmarks of the Old Testament, they did not know the visitation. They couldn't recognize the Messiah. They couldn't recognize their own king when he came. They didn't understand that he wouldn't come in glory and he wouldn't come in in battle robes and he wouldn't establish the kingdom in the way that they thought they would establish the kingdom. But it was told to them. The words of God were told to them. It was told to them in the Old Testament. And just like Babylon came and made a siege around Jerusalem and starved them out until they uh, eventually could not last any longer and they conquered them, so too the new enemy will come. But what we don't realize is the enemy that they are talking, what, that Jesus is talking about is the one the Jews rely, uh, depend upon. The Jews say at the crucifixion of Christ or the, the trial of Christ, we have no king but Caesar. This is not our king. Jesus is not our king. We have no king but Caesar. Jesus here calls Rome their enemy. Yet Jew, the Jews call Rome their king. They reject the king of kings. They reject the king of the Old Testament, the coming king of the Old Testament, and they choose the king who will destroy them. And in 40 years' time-ish, in AD 70, the Romans will come in and surround Jerusalem, hem them in on every side, and destroy the temple. They'll set up Titus, the Caesar, will set up an idol of himself in the temple and destroy it. And Josephus, a Jewish historian, writes that blood of the people ran down the stairs. If we thought the exile into Babylon was bad, as the Old Testament says it is, the destruction of Jerusalem was the worst thing that ever happened in Jewish history. It was the end of them as the chosen people of God. Because they did not remember the time of their visitation. 
So Jesus enters into the temple. He enters in in verse 45 as the King of Kings, as the King of Jerusalem, the city of peace, as the holder of all the covenants of the Old Testament, as the very presence of God, and he does a mini destruction. He runs them out. Is it written that my house should be a house of prayer? But you have made it a den of robbers. He looks at what the temple has been used for. He looks at how they have started to treat the present, the place where God's presence would dwell. And he sees evil prophet, uh, uh, robbing of people, robbing of the poor, selling lambs and goats for sacrifice at uh, terrible prices and making the poor, uh, the poor poorer. It was, it was horrible. I think sometimes we, we may read the Gospels and think the Pharisees get a hard time, but we need to remember just how evil they are. They were like a mafia group who were promoting themselves. It was like, it was in, it was all inbred of, of who had the power and how they could keep the power, and they weren't serving the people to, to be drawn near to God. They were exactly like the kings of the Old Testament. And right now they're using the very dwelling place of God that was meant to be a house of prayer, a place where we would come and hear from God, a place where people would come and pray to God, a place where they could enjoy God's presence even though they were sinners, could not happen because they were robbing the people. Jesus reveals in Isaiah that the gospel, or that, that, his, uh, that his house, for my house, should be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Jesus reveals by quoting this line that the, the house of God, the temple of God, is going to be open to all people. The new temple that he is going to build, not with human hands, but through spiritual, through the power of the Holy Spirit in the church, will be for all people. It won't just be for Israel. That when the presence of God entered into the temple, he restored it, back to its rightful use. Prayer and the teaching of His Word. In verse 47, for His last week of His life, as the King of kings and the very presence of God, He was teaching daily in the temple. This is what Jesus did. He went into the temple and at night He would retreat to the Mount of Olivet and He would teach His disciples and then in the day He would go back to the temple And for the whole of chapter 20, we see Jesus teaching in the temple. He went back to what the temple should be for, a place where people could draw near to the presence of God, even though they were sinners. Yet he would bring this to an end. For a week, leading up to Passover, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking a way to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his word until God's sovereign moment that those same people who were hanging on his word will turn and chant, crucify him just as God had planned it. That the king, the Mosaic king would come into the temple, would drive out the the robbers that were using it as false gain, would demonstrate what it was rightfully used for and how people would come to God and he would make a way into the holy holies but the greater holy of holies not made with human hands the holy of holies of heaven 
So the Passover comes a week later and just as they would sacrifice a lamb at the Passover, Jesus became that lamb. He was sacrificed for us. His blood was poured out. And while hanging on the cross, the veil to the Holy of Holies is torn. Rather than going in there and proving that he is the presence of God by entering into the Holy of Holies, he dies and at his death, the Holy of Holies was open to all peoples. All the peoples who will call upon his name, acknowledge him as king, acknowledge him as the fulfiller of all covenants, and know that in him, the Godhead is, he, in him, he dwells as part of the Godhead. To those, he would be saved. So what we see in this glorious passage, this start of his journey to Jerusalem, is that Jesus is fulfilling much, uh, many passages of the Old Testament, yet he's leaving shadows for a greater fulfillment. He will enter into the Holy of Holies, as we'll see, but it will be at his ascension after his death and resurrection. He will take the throne, but it will be the throne of heaven at the right hand of God, where all enemies will be put under his feet. And he will invite us into the presence of God with his own blood. What we're going to do is we're not going to preach the teaching of Jesus in chapter 20, but we're going to pick up in chapter 21 and continue our journey so that by Easter we'll get to the death and the resurrection at the end of Luke. Um, So join with me as we pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the landmarks that you have placed throughout the Old Testament and into our life today. The greatest of all being Christ Jesus, our Lord, who became human, who put on human flesh and dwelt among us. Although ordinary, when the veil was pulled back, we see his glory. When the veil is pulled back from his ascension, we see a king taking his seat on the throne of heaven in a holy of holies not made with human hands. May we, Lord, worship as if we are watching that. And Lord, as we draw near to Easter, may we recall every Sunday the resurrection. May we recall greatly the work of the cross in our life. May we celebrate things like your ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that we will not forget. That we will not forget this afternoon, your goodness, your grace, your love towards us. And that we will not forget this week, the power of the Holy Spirit in our life because of the death and the resurrection that you have accomplished for us. I pray, Lord, that the days of our life and this church's life, we will remember and rejoice in these ancient landmarks that you have placed for us. May we not move them, but may we treasure them with our hearts and teach them to our children's children. We pray this in Jesus' name.